It's difficult to get very far with an essay on freedom, and in particular one where you talk about choosing sets of goods and values, before you encounter somebody who will deny whether choice is even possible, whether freedom is even possible. There are those who want to claim that we are so governed by our past experiences and by our genetics that our freedom is vanishingly limited, almost sometimes to zero. And of course, there are lots of senses in which we are constrained in what we can do uh, and we can't choose the impossible, although I'll come back to that too. Uh, so when you want to talk about freedom, you have to talk at some stage about the control of freedom by genetics, by experiences and by what the psychologists would call behavioural traits and the whole thing wrapped up together and philosophically wrapped up together comes under the heading of determinism. Uh, I should say that a problem with determinism is that we use determine in two quite different ways in English. One of them, which is the sense in which it completely eliminates the possibility of freedom and choice, is that we are slaves to the past. And although we might think we're making decisions, really we're not. That's the sense in which it's an important concept. We also, slightly more colloquially, talk about determining in the sense of I'm going to determine what colour to paint the walls or determine whether to sign the contract. And of course, it's connected to the other uh, bigger system. But I am not going to use determine in that sense. So it is not an argument against determinism to say but people determine what they're going to do on the face of the evidence before them all the time. Uh, th those are just two different usages of the same word, and we're better to avoid the second altogether in an, ex in an essay or a, an exploration of this kind. So that's determinism. How are we going to deal with it? You'll gather that I've already... Uh, explored the, the point that we find in David Hume, the 18th century Scottish philosopher and skeptic, where he says uh, in a book called A Treatise of Human Nature that all there are in the world are facts. There are no laws, there are no uh, logical, rational principles that link what we like to think of as causes to their effects. He says, this is an invention of the human mind. And he thinks that determinism is similarly an invention of the human mind based upon certain mathematical or logical or physical uh, assumptions that he rejects. So he doesn't think that determinism is a real issue other people haven't been convinced. Why does it matter? 
well, at rather an obvious level, we can't talk about choosing anything unless we're free to choose. And if our lives are determined by the past, we are not free to choose. And there have been some ingenious attempts to escape this by saying, well, even if we are determined by the past, we still have to go through a process that at least seems to be choice, seems to involve considering the different options available to us and picking one of them. Uh, So what difference does it make, make whether we're determined or not if we have to go through what seems to be a process of choice? And there's some force in this, But it seems to succumb uh, to the rejoinder, yes, but seeming to be free isn't the same thing as being free. Seeming to make choices isn't the same thing as really making choices. If I'm misled into believing that I'm making choices when I'm really not, then I am just as much a slave to the past as if I were conscious of being absolutely determined. So you can't get out of the problem that way. I don't find this argument anything other than irrefutable. Uh, If we're not to be genuinely free, if we're not to be able to make genuine choices where the outcome isn't predictable in advance, then freedom is a sham. And I don't want to go into this, but it's in Isaiah Berlin's essay. If we once buy into that notion, then more or less everything about everyday speech and all our social Uh, and philosophical and particularly moral conventions have to be abandoned. Because if we're not genuinely free, we're not genuinely responsible. Uh, So the notion that I am either culpable for doing something wrong or uh, virtuous because I've done something right, those notions evaporate. All you end up with, and this is really very unsatisfactory, all you end up with is saying, all right, that this person, let's say, murdered his wife, isn't disputable, that he wasn't free to decide one way or the other also isn't disputable. But that just means that he's the kind of person who can't be relied upon not to murder his wife. So let's put him in jail or execute him Anyway, let's not have any compassion. Let's not have any extenuating circumstances that we allow to um, mitigate the judgment that we've made of that person's guilt uh, as a bad person. If you run that through, you end up with a world in which nobody is responsible for anything. Berlin says people who claim to believe in determinism are very, very reluctant to follow the logic of their own position all the way down the line to the conclusions that they ought to come to. But they should, uh, 
but what we shouldn't do, and this is the first point, what we shouldn't do is to take determinism that seriously. Because I think Hume is correct, even if the details of his argument don't quite stack up, to say that determinism is something we've invented. Why we've invented it is itself a very interesting question. But let's suppose determinism is something we've invented and we are on the basis of that invention flying in the face of everyday experience because every day, every minute of every day, we are making some kind of decision. They, the decisions we make may not be monumental. They may just be along the lines of choosing between whether to have tea or coffee or whether to have milk in it or whether to have sugar in it. These tiny, tiny decisions that we make are part and parcel of daily life. And to pretend that they're not real requires a certain level of perversity. As I say, it's not an argument that I think is really worth pursuing very long. Although almost every philosopher throughout the history of the world has to some extent found themselves forced to consider it because determinism exercises, no pun intended, such a controlling influence over the whole debate. Now, determinism in that sense can often be said to give rise to what is called necessity. And this now does start to be significant. If we think of ourselves, even implicitly, in other words, without, without becoming paid up members of the determinism society, if we start to allow the thoughts that come from that assumption to worm their way into our attitudes, then we find ourselves overly concerned with being consistent with the past. And being consistent with the past clearly has very limiting implications for what we do and how we live our lives. And we can even find ourselves believing that we are in some sense obliged, either because of determinism or just from social convention, to be compatible with our own histories. That relates to the question of the nature of the self. Are we, as selves, obliged to live consistent lives? That we might not isn't something that should imply that we can't or that we shouldn't. That most of us do exhibit what you might call consistency and continuity through most of our lives is undoubtedly true. But perhaps that's part of the problem. Perhaps we're far too wedded to the notion that we shouldn't allow our actions, our beliefs, our ambitions, our interests, etc. to change over time. That we are somehow 
not free, even if we are, to make decisions that involve taking sharp left or right turns in our own histories. Now, when one starts to think this through, you can see that a sense of obligation to be the same as I was yesterday may occasion me great inconvenience, but it's probably very convenient for you. In other words, the obligation, if such it be, the social obligation, if not philosophical obligation, the social obligation to be consistent and to live in accordance with our past makes life much easier for other people. It would be very difficult if the world consisted of people whom one thought was what were one sort of person, as you might say, one day, and they became a completely different kind of person the next. Not uh, through the uh, intervention of some nasty thing like a brain tumour, but just because they gave up on the notion that being consistent was even something laudable even something noble, even something they were obliged to be. So, what follows from all of this is that one of the dimensions of the kind of sense we make of the world, to link it back to the previous two voice notes, one of the ways we make sense of the world is we make sense of it by being consistent in ourselves but we're not obliged to be. We are at liberty to choose to change, not to be what we've either been brought up to be or what society has obliged us to be or even what society tries to force us to be. We are at liberty to say, yes, until yesterday or until two minutes ago, this is the kind of person I was, but I'm going to work hard at being something else. It's obviously the basis of all kinds of therapy. It's the basis of all kinds of self-redemption. It's an important principle. It's one we should take much more seriously. And of course it relies not upon making sense of the world by always being consistent and the same, but making sense of the world by being un, by being inconsistent, or in other words, by unmaking sense.